Hey everyone, so glad that you're joining us today. So glad that you made it today. Today is March 14th. And what day is March 14th? Now, you may have birthday today, or you may be thinking, oh, it's the start of a daylight saving time. But I'm not talking about that. But March 14th, did you know that on the other side of the planet, where I came from, people are celebrating a day of bold love? Because March 14th is called the White Day. Now, White Day is not what you're thinking. It's not, nothing to do with race, but it's a day that follows the Valentine's Day. It's a day that is associated with the Valentine's Day. Now, this is a very Asian thing, but on the Valentine's Day, girls give gifts to the boys. But on the White Day, if you happen to be one of those lucky ones who received a gift on the Valentine's Day, on the White Day, you return the gift. Obviously not the same gift. <laughs> if you return the same gift, that would be really bold. But you go and buy a new gift and you, you just return the love to your loved one. That's what White Day is all about. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, that is the dumbest thing ever. Now, I used to think that early in our marriage because I knew the origin of the White Day is just the Japanese confectionery association just wanted to make more money. So they just made a random day to celebrate so that people can go into the, the stores and buy chocolates and sweets and all of that. So I'm like, I don't care about this. So one white day, one particular white day, I went home empty-handed. And oh boy, oh boy, that was a huge mistake. I'm still paying for it, even today. Now, you got to be bold when expressing your love to people. And in fact, the world is bold about expressing their love. Wherever you go and buy stuff, you, you cannot avoid hearing songs that is about love. Whenever you turn on the TV, you cannot avoid watching it, a movie that is about love. It's either his love or her love or that love or this love. Love is everywhere. But I wonder, if love is so inundated, around us, why are there so many people feeling unloved? I don't need to explain this in detail. There is so much people who are living without being loved. There are violence in the house. There is separation. People are in, living in despair. People are lonely. And that is the greater, great, greatest irony that we have today. And why is that? And we are very good at pointing fingers, aren't we? We start pointing fingers. Oh, it's because of my spouse. If only she was a more loving person, I can be a loving person too. Oh, if it's that boss in the workplace. If only he was a loving person. Oh, it's the politicians. They don't know what they're doing. But eventually, our fingers move towards God and we say to God, God, if only you were a loving God as you claim to be, I can be a loving God. You know, in the scripture, there's so many laws and commandments, but Jesus said in the New Testament that all the laws can be summarized into one commandment, which is to love God and love other people. But how can we love when we are not loved? And that is the question. Now today we're looking at a story of Esther. Now, Esther, people say that the name of Esther comes from a Persian word, stara, which means star. But also, 
people say, scholars say that it could be that the name is derived from a word Ishtar, which was actually the goddess of love. And if this was the case, what an irony, because Esther also lived in a world where love was not felt that easily. Esther lived in a world where love was exchanged, love was bought and sold, and Esther lived in such a world where it was so difficult to feel and experience the love of God. In fact, the book of Esther is the only two books in the entire Old Testament where the name of God is completely absent. And many scholars say that it's intentional. They also left out the name of God intentionally to make all the readers ask this important question, which is a question for you and me today, which is, what do we do when the love is absent in our life? What do we do when love is absent in our life? Now today, you may be a Jesus follower already, or you don't even have a clue who Jesus was. Wherever, whatever your background is, everybody needs love. But what do we do when love is absent in our life? This is a question that I want to ponder with you today. But before we dive in, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We're diving into this wonderful, beautiful story of Esther. It's sometimes difficult to see your love in our life. What do we do in that moment? So speak to us, God, today, uh, because we need answers sometimes. So speak to us today. Open our hearts and be with, my, be with me as I speak this word as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, we're going to dive in to the story of Esther. Now, this story takes place around 480 B.C. And it was a time when the glory of King David... And all the buildings and the beautiful architectures and, and the temple that he built, they're all gone. They're under the rubble. And during this time, a new superpower rose to the horizon, and it was called the Persian Empire. Now, if you hear the word Persia, you may be thinking about this. A Persian rug, you know, it's one of the most beautiful, very expensive rugs that you don't want to spill your coffee on. But actually, Persia was once a very, very powerful empire whose control, control spanned over many, many lands, thousands of miles, starting from Libya in Africa all the way to Pakistan in Asia. It was a mighty, mighty empire. Now, in order to understand the story of Esther, we need to understand four names today. And we're just going to go one by one. Obviously, the first name that we need to, to know is Esther. Now, this, this girl, Esther, she was born in the city of Susa, which was the capital city of the Persian Empire. And she was an orphan. And we don't know what happened to her parents. Maybe, maybe they died in an accident. They, maybe they died in a war. We don't know. But Esther was an orphan. And because she was an orphan, didn't have parents, from her young age, she was raised by her uncle, whose name happened to be Mordecai. Now, both Esther and Mordecai, they are a descendant of this Jewish nation. They were a Jew. So you could easily speculate that they had a, they had a very difficult time as they were growing up. Because during this time, there was a great amount of hatred 
animosity towards the people who belong to this, the Jewish nation. Now, the story of Esther begins with this crazy drinking party that was hosted by the king of Persia, whose name happens to be King Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. Now, this drinking party lasted for a staggering 180 days. And by the end of the party, everybody is drunk, surprised. Even the king is drunk. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And in his drunkenness, he commands his own wife, Queen Vashti, to dance in front of the crowd, all the guests. But who would want to dance in front, of, in front of Marvel people who cannot even distinguish between left and right, right? So, so the queen refuses the request of the king. And of course, the king is furious. He feels humiliated, embarrassed. So on that spot, he sacks and fires that queen. And I didn't know that you can sack a queen, but he did. The man, King Ahasuerus, was a brutal man. He was very temperamental. He was unpredictable, and he was so powerful. Then a new proposal was brought to him saying, why don't the king do a beauty contest, host a beauty contest so that the king can find a new wife. And of course, the king likes the idea. That's a great idea. And he sends a messenger all across the Persian Empire to find this beautiful wife for the king. And eventually, they find 400 beautiful women and they're brought to the palace, among whom was Esther. The scripture says that Esther was beautiful, and probably she looked like this. <laughs> Blessed is a man who marries this woman. Yes? I need to earn a lot of brownie points right now, so. <laughs> but anyway, Esther was beautiful, and she was among the 400. And the long story short, he win she wins the competition. Now the question to you is, what was the odd? What were the odds? of Esther winning the competition. Was it one in 400? Was she just fighting against, competing against the 399 other contestants? No! She was competing against the, the whole women that were, were living in the Persian Empire, which happened to be 25 million. One in 25 million. What are the odds? So although you don't see or hear the name of God in this book anywhere, you do see God at work. You do see God at work. Now, after Esther becomes the queen of Persia, Mordecai, her uncle, gave her an advice. She, he says this, Esther, you are a queen now, but, but remember, keep your identity secret. Don't tell anyone that you are a Jew because everybody hates Jews. Just keep it secret. Now, speaking about Mordecai, Mordecai was a very smart man. Now, we don't know much about him, but we do know that probably he was working inside the palace. Now, let me share with you one event that happened to Mordecai. As he was just roaming around the palace one day, he hears this conversation between two high-ranking officials. And he's eavesdropping. And these two officials were talking about assassinating the king. They're, they're plotting against the king. And Mordecai is like, wow, 
And so immediately, without any delay, he goes to report it to the palace. And not surprised, they get caught and they were executed. Now, whenever a, a, a heroic act like this happens in the empire, they would record the, the, the hero's name in the book. So I have here the book of memorable deeds right here. And so after Mordecai reported this incident, his name was recorded so that he can be rewarded. So that he can be rewarded. But for whatever reason, we don't know why. Maybe there was a communication problem between the officials. We don't know why. But he was left out. He was never rewarded. And I'm going to put this here because this book will come back later. And I want you to remember this event. So just keep, keep that somewhere in the, in, the, in the corner of your head. Now, moving on. As, as you know, any, any and every story has a conflict. And for us, the conflict begins as one man was promoted in the palace. And his name is Haman. And this is the fourth character that we need to know. Haman. It says that Haman was a descendant of Amalekites. Amalekites happened to be the arch enemy of the Israelites, if you, if you look at the history of the Israelites, they were the first enemy that confronted them as people were coming out of Egypt. So the Amalekites, oh boy, oh boy, they hated the Jews. Haman hated the Jews. And this man, Haman, gets promoted and he becomes the prime minister of the whole empire. Now, he's the kind of the person that you don't want to have as your boss in the workplace. He thrived on people praising for him. He thrived on people just lifting him up. And wherever he, he went, he just expected people to praise him and bow down to him. Except for one person. And of course, his name is Mordecai. Mordecai was one of those people who, cared, who, who, who couldn't care less about office politics. Because Mordecai's eyes were just set on God. Now imagine... What in the world is happening in Haman's head? Haman hated Mordecai. Haman truly detested Mordecai. He wanted him gone, gone out of this planet. He could have just killed him, but because he hated Mordecai so much that he didn't want to just kill Mordecai, him alone, but he wanted to kill his whole nation, the whole Jewish nation. He wanted the Jews gone out of the Persian Empire. So, one day, Haman goes to see the magician and the astrologers and all the rest. And he discusses with them the date of this great genocide. And he takes out this dice, which was also called Pur in Persian. And he rolls the dice to decide a day of the genocide. Just like that. And he gets the number. And he says, aha, we're going to carry out this genocide 12 months later. And this can happen. I'm so excited for this. And that's how the word poor was first used in this story of Esther. Now imagine all the fear and anger and confusion that swept across the whole nation of the people of Jews, the, the Jews who are living in this, the big Persian empire. Just imagine what they're thinking. 
they're confused. They're screaming and shouting towards God. God, why is this happening to us? That's what they're thinking. So the question is, where is God in all of this? Where is it? Now, surely we cannot see the, 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 the pillar of fire coming down from heaven. We cannot see the dividing of the, of the sea. We cannot hear the voice of God coming down from the sky. But even when we cannot feel God or hear God or see God, it doesn't mean that God does not exist. And Mordecai knew that as well. Look with me in this verse. Chapter 4, verse 13. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So what is Mordecai saying here? He's saying that whatever happens, whether you will, you will do this or not, Esther, God is sovereign, he's in control, and he's going to achieve his purpose. He's going to pull this through. That's what Mordecai is saying. Now, in a way, this, this is a very like, dry, isn't it? Because essentially he's saying God is so independent and God doesn't need you, Esther. He can just do it. Right? But in this passage, you see the bold love of God, the blazing love of God just, just shouting at you. Mordecai is saying that God is so independent that he doesn't need you, Esther. He can just do it. But, but even still, he's going to use you. He's gonna, he doesn't need you, but he's going to use you. He wants to use you. And so this is where we see this truth that God's relationship with you is not a matter of necessity, but it's a matter of his bold love for you and me. That our relationship with God is not because God needed us for something, but because God wanted us. Now, if you're a parent in any capacity, I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, between Sunny and I, we have one daughter, and she's uh, six years old. And before she, she was born, it, we didn't like say, oh, our hands are full. Oh, I can't reach for the door. Uh, Sunny, can you pop one baby out and put, him, put that baby in, in a row to, to open the door? No, right? We wanted her. Not out of necessity, but out of love. We wanted to love her. And it's the same principle for God. God didn't create you because he needed you. God didn't appoint you because he needed you for something. But God wanted you. This means that even if you fail, God's love will remain. God did not create you because you, he needed help carrying some stuff from point A to point B. God didn't create you because he needed some money. He has all the money he needs. God created you because he wanted you. He, he, he loves you. Because God's relationship with you is not a matter of necessity, but it's a matter of his bold love for us. 
Now Esther needs to respond now. Mordecai is saying, Esther, you need to act. God can do it, but God is using you. You need to act, you need to act Esther. Now what does Esther do? Now she's in a very difficult situation here. Because to go see a king when you are not invited, that, was, that amounted to an offense. An offense so cruel that you will be executed on the spot. If you're working for like a military, you know this, that you are not to speak unless spoken to. That's the rule. So Esther in, is in this dilemma. What do I do? I haven't met the king for 30 days. What do I do? What does Esther do? Well, let's look at this. She says this. This is Esther speaking now. Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So what does Esther do? She fasts. And not only she fasts, because the whole purpose of fasting is to pray. So she fasts, but she also prays. She's on her knees. She's begging to God. She's pleading and, and knocking on the door of God to act. You know, when the world speaks about love, people are usually talking about that fuzzy feeling that happens in, your, in their heart. Or that sensation that happens in the body. Or that that feeling that, that is so difficult to describe happening in your heart. But when Esther begs for God's love, when Esther begged for God's mercy, she wasn't talking about that funny emotional things. She was only talking about one thing, and which was the God to act. And this is where we see this truth that God's love is not just an emotion, but it is God in motion. When God says he loves us, it's not talking about an emotion, but God moves. That's the truth that we see in this story. You know, when God is so silent in our life, we want to make some noise, don't we? We want to fill the void with whatever we can get, whether it be relationship. Oh, I'm so lonely let me get into that relationship. Oh, I'm so depressed. Let me just have some fun. You want to fill the void with whatever you can get. You know, I was convicted about this last year. Last year was a very difficult year for us. As with everybody, it was a difficult year for us. We came over to the U.S. to start a church. There are many Japanese people living in this land. We wanted to start a church, just share the gospel to all the Japanese. But uh, the pandemic happened, and we did not know what we were doing. Like, seriously, we were lost. We couldn't see the church. We couldn't see the people. And I was confused, but I was also discouraged. And you know what I did in that moment? I prayed. I was on my knees, I turned on some nice soothing music, and I prayed, God, I love you, and thank you for loving me. Thank you that you have a plan for me. Thank you so much that, that even though when I can, cannot see it, thank you that you love me. You know, I was praying like that. And it's, it's an important prayer, and I don't regret for doing it, but I, 
But it was actually Travis who, um, who told me that, Maki, your prayer is small. You should pray bigger. And he was right. I was on my knees to soothe my feelings, but I was not on my knees to asking God to act. I had to be reminded once again that God's love for me is not some kind of an emotion, not some kind of a make-me-feel kind of thing, but God's love for me is God in action. I believe in a God who acts because I don't believe in a God who is dead, but God who is alive. So I started praying differently. Yes, I was still praying, God, thank you for loving me. But not only that, I started to pray, God, build your church, God. God, send your people, God. God, I need a, a praise leader who can lead in Japanese, God. I, God, I need a Japanese editor, God. And the last prayer, God answered. So I started to pray boldly because I believe in a God who is not dead, but a God who is alive. So let's go back to the question, question of the day. What do we do when the love of God seems absent in our life? We should be on our knees asking God to move. How many of you need to be reminded today just like I was, that when God showed his love, he didn't just say, I love you, but he actually came down and he suffered for us. He actually walked with us and he died on the cross for us. He was ridiculed for us and he resurrected for us. Those are all verbs. They're not nouns or they're not even adjectives. They're verbs because we believe in this God, this beautiful God, who is not just about words, who is not just about emotion, but who is all about action. So let's remember this. Let's get on our knees because God's love for us is not just an emotion. God's love is God in motion. Now let's talk about God in motion. Now, do you want to know how this Story unfolds. The story of Esther unfolds. Now, after Esther was told to go, Esther musters her courage and, and she approaches the king. The king pardons her, reaches out with a scepter. Immediately she's pardoned and the king asks, what is wrong with you, Esther? Why are you so sad? Just tell me what you need. And Esther says, oh, the king, please, I want to tell you, but could you host a dinner for us? For you, the king, and for me, and also invite Haman with us. And the king is thinking in his head, why does Haman have to be in that dinner? But anyways, okay, I, I could get you that dinner. And the dinner is scheduled for the day after. Now imagine how Haman reacted Haman is like, I'm, I'm the man of this empire. Everybody loves me. Now even the queen. I'm invited not just by the king, but by the queen herself. So she's like, he's like so happy. But then he remembers this one man who never paid him the respect. 
And of course, that man was Mordecai. And he's thinking in his head, oh, if only Mordecai was vanished out of this, this earth, I would be a truly happy man. Ah, you know what? I don't even have to wait until the end of the year. I could just kill him tomorrow. I'm the prime minister here. So that day, Haman goes home. And he does a little bit of a DIY in his garage. And he builds this gallows, this execution stand, so that he can execute Mordecai the day after. Now, while Haman was having a good time, someone was suffering in the palace. And it was a king. King had a difficult time sleeping that night. And he's thinking, did I drink too much coffee? <laughs> and for whatever reason, I cannot do this anymore. So he gets up from the bed and he walks around the palace and he finds this book. And he starts reading it. And all of a sudden, he comes across this account that was recorded a long time ago. He reads this, this, about this man who saved his life. Huh, interesting. Mordecai. And he calls the servant, hey, come here. What do we, how do we reward this man who saved my life? And the servant is like, ah, I'm sorry, sir. I don't think we did anything. And the king is like, what? We didn't do anything to this Man who saved my life. We have to do something about this. And in, just in that moment, the king sees Haman skipping across the courtyard jubilantly after finished his DIY. So Haman, come here. Haman, come here. Um, and then he asked this question. What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And you know Haman's personality by now. He's thinking in his head, the king is talking about me. So Haman, Haman says to the king, Oh king, to the man whom the king delights to honor, you should put a royal robe on his back and put him on a royal horse and just make him run into the square of the city and let the people shout, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And the king is like, you got some gifts, man. <laughs> I like that. And the king said, do that to Mordecai. And Haman is like, excuse me? What? What? And the next day, surely enough, Mordecai was called into the palace, and he's dressed in a royal robe. And he gets on the horse, and everybody's shouting. Even Haman needed to shout, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And just imagine what Haman is thinking in his head. He is humiliated. He goes home depressed. But he's telling himself, oh, I don't need to get depressed. He washes his face. I'm, I'm invited by the queen tonight. I'm invited by the king tonight. So today was a bad start, but at least I can finish good. And that evening, surely enough, he go to that dinner. And remember, Haman doesn't know that Esther is a Jew. Because Esther kept a secret. So he has no clue at all what is about to take place. At the dinner scene... The king asked the question to Esther again. Esther, you were distressed yesterday. What was the matter? Please, can you tell us now? 
And Esther says, with fear and trembling, O king, our people have been sold. Our, key, our people are destined to be annihilated. And the king is like, what are you talking about? Sold? Annihilated? Who would do such a thing? Where is he? Who is he? And Esther says, it's the guy sitting next to you. And he points a finger at Haman and says, it is this wicked man, Haman. And surely enough, Haman was hanged in the gallow that he himself erected 24 hours ago. He is dead. And Mordecai is promoted as the prime minister of the whole Persian empire. And the king issues a new decree that allowed the Jews to protect themselves. And this is how this plot to kill, plot to do a genocide against the Jewish nation was foiled. And surely enough, even today, people in Israel, they celebrate this event. And they call it the Festival of Purim. After the word poor, which means lots. The lot that Haman rolled to determine the day of the genocide, they now call it Purim and, and, and just celebrate the day of great salvation. Now, what was at stake in the story of Esther? What was at stake? What was at stake was that had Haman succeeded in his plan to kill all the Jews, you will not be watching this today. I will not be here today. Now, you might say, but I'm not a Jew. I'm just an American. Well, you could just easily tell I'm not a Jew either. I'm, I'm like Asian. But you won't be doing what you're doing right now, listening to this service. Because if the Jewish nation was destroyed, Jesus would not have come. And if Jesus had not come, we would not have a church where we worship what Jesus did for us. You know, in fact, this word, pur, was used at the scene of the crucifixion. As Jesus was crucified on the cross, people ridiculed him. People mocked him. And there were some who were casting lots, this pool, rolling the dice to divide a garment that belonged to Jesus Christ. People in this world, people in the world, are living by this pearl. They're casting lots. Whatever happens in their life, whether good or bad, it's all about just chance. And they say things like, oh, it's too bad that you don't have parents. Oh, it's too bad that happened to you. Oh, it's too bad that you have that disease. But it's just bad luck for them. But for those who believe that God is in control of all things, even bad things have meanings. As people casted lots at the foot of the cross, Jesus was suffering. And this was not by chance, but it was planned by God. Even from the time of Esther, but actually even before that, from the eternity past, the, the death of Jesus was planned for you and for me, for your sins and my sins. 
God planned it for us so that we can live a new life with him. I don't know what you're going through, and I don't know why you're going through, but I do know that God is in control and that your suffering has meaning. I do know that God loves you. He didn't create you because he needed you. If he simply needed you, if you fail, God could ditch you. But God appointed you simply because God loves you. And so we will land with this. The only way in which we can be bold to love other people as God commanded us, the only way in which we can be a disciple is when we first realize the bold love of Christ for us. Now, for those of you who are watching this and, and don't really know God yet, who don't really know who Jesus is, it's not a coincidence that you're watching this. You just saw it, one in 25 million. There is no such thing as coincidence. It was God who led you to watch this. It was God who led you to discover him, to know him. And you may be thinking that, oh, it's about rolling the dice. It's about chance. And you're living like that every single day. Oh, bad luck. What's the need? Why do you have to live like that? God is in control. He's the one who made you and he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Know Jesus today and your life will change. And if you're, if you're desiring to know him, Close your eyes right now, and I want to assist you in a time of prayer so that you can know him, so that you can have a relationship with him. Close your eyes and pray this prayer with me. God, I don't really know you. And sometimes my life is so quiet. Look at my life. My life is a mess. Now, you may say that. But today I learned that, God, you are in control of my life. I don't understand it, but I want to believe that you are a true God. God, I also want to believe that this Jesus is a real person. That this Jesus actually died for my sins. I want to believe that, God. Jesus, be my Lord. I don't understand it, but I want to understand. So be my Lord today. And forgive me of my sins so that I can live a life, a new life with you from now on and forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you truly meant that, uh, well, first of all, I want to celebrate that with you. I'm so happy for you. But we also don't want you to walk alone. Uh, we have a whole community of people who want to get to know you and help you. So what you can do is you can text the word Mile City to 94,000 and someone from our church will reach out to you, get to know you and help you in any way and you can ask any question that you have and we'll just do whatever we can to help you learn more about God. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for speaking to us today. The story of Esther, what a story. Thank you so much that you are a God who never panics, God who is always in control. 
that even though when we cannot feel or hear or see you, you are a God who is already, always working in our life. Thank you so much, Father, for that. Thank you so much, O oh Lord. We want to be someone who can be bold in our prayer because we don't believe in a dead God, but you are alive. Help us to trust in that God. Help us, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.